This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Eddie DeBartolo, and you're listening to The Eye Test for Two with Clark Judge and Ira Kaufman. Welcome to another edition of the Eye Test for Two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we're both Hall of Fame voters, joined today, as always, by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon, and by a very special guest, and that's former defensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos, Mr. Joe Collier, who's the architect of the great Orange Crush defense that helped send the Broncos to three Super Bowls. Now, I have been pushing, and I think you're with me on this, for a member of that defense, and that's linebacker Randy Gratishar, who was a star in Joe's defenses. And I've been pushing for him to reach Canton. And, and he came close a year ago as a finalist for the Centennial Class of 2020. And you know better than most, Ira, because you were on that blue ribbon panel. But he did make it, and I'm not sure why. So we've asked Joe, who coached Randy, to give us insight into the play of one of pro football's most memorable inside linebackers. Joe Collier, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Hey, Joe, um, we know how disappointed Randy was in not making the final cut last year with the Centennial class. How about you? Uh, How disappointed were you? Well, I've known for years that Randy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He was a leader of our defense and uh, led our team in tackles for the 10 years that he played. Uh, When he came out of college, he said, I'm going to play for 10 years, (laughs) and he did. And he was the most durable linebacker that I think I've ever coached. You know, he didn't miss a game. I remember he – his, uh, I remember he, he had some weeks where he's banged up like everybody does getting playing football, get banged up. But, and he might have missed some practices. But I remember one week his wife came in and said, there's no way he can play. He can hardly walk. And the next day Randy came, came in and said, I'm playing. You know, that's the kind of guy he was. You know, he was just a guy that didn't want to miss a, uh, a football game. But he was our leader. Uh, he was, he, to me, he was, uh, uh, if you wanted to make a, a linebacker, he was the example. I mean, a top linebacker. He had all the attributes that you need as a linebacker. You know, he had the size. He was about 6'3", about 230. He had the speed. He was very intelligent. He led our defense and calls and all that type of stuff. And uh, he was very durable, like I said before. You know, he didn't miss any games. And uh, 
you know, to me, he was one of the top linebackers in the history of the NFL. And I'm very sorry that he's not been able to get into the Hall of Fame by now. Joe, as you mentioned, he didn't miss any games, seven Pro Bowls in 10 years, NFL Defensive Player of the Year, two-time first-team All-Pro. What are voters missing? Yeah, yeah, statistically, you know, those things are out of, out of, out of his hands, but uh, all the things that he did as a player, statistically, uh, was unbelievable. You know, he, he, one of the things that uh, a lot of people forget about Randy is he was probably the top short yardage goal line linebacker in the history of the NFL. We, we, you know, he probably played 150, 160 games for us, and we probably won 20 games just because of crucial situations where we had to play goal line defense or had to play short yards defense out in the field, fourth and a half yard to go, whatever. And uh, we won the game because we, we, he, who was our leader of, of that short yards defense, uh, made, made a big play. And uh, he was unbelievable in short yardage. Uh, there's no question about it. We were, the, we were the best short yardage goal line team for all the years that he played. And uh, he was the main reason because uh, for that uh, success that we have with that defense. You know, and he had a lot of attributes that uh, make a great linebacker. You know, one of the things a linebacker has to do is be able to get off of blocks and avoid blocks to get to the ball carrier. Well, he, was an, he had uncanny ability to avoid people throwing blocks at his legs or or trying to get get him knocked down. Very, very rarely did he get knocked off his feet. He was always on his feet. And it was was amazing. I I couldn't uh, describe his ability to do that because it's just something that is built into into a a football player. And he was uh, unbelievable. You know, he'd keep his eye on the ball carrier while people were trying pay any attention to the blocker. He'd jump over him or he'd go around him or whatever to get to the ball carry. He, he was unbelievable. You know, a lot of linebackers are not able to do that. They get knocked down, they get tripped up, they fall down, whatever. He always was on his feet. So he had that that ability to to stay involved in the play. And, I'm, you know, when I look back at uh, the years that he played, he was unbelievable in that particular aspect. He was a three-down linebacker. And, of course, in those days, it wasn't the specialization that it is nowadays, you know, four and five and six wide receivers or whatever, and a ton of defensive backs coming in and linebackers going sitting on uh, next to the defensive coordinator on the sideline while uh, all these guys are playing on-field basketball is what I call it nowadays. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, he <laughs> – Thanks. Uh, yes. Thanks so much for, for joining us today, Joe. I, I got a question, Joe, and you had one spectacular, you know, career uh, on the sidelines in the NFL as a coach. And, and Joe, in 1978, you know, the Broncos went 10 and six, you lost to Pittsburgh in the playoffs, but Joe on your staff was a young assistant, defensive assistant, special teams guy. The guy's name was Bill Belichick. Joe Collier. Yes. And, yes. And he was a young assistant. And the next year he went to the giants and made a name for himself with um, under Parcells. But Joe, what, what do you remember uh, about a young Bill Belichick that year? 
Well, he came in. He was uh, he had come from another team, I think Detroit or wherever he came from. But uh, Red Miller knew his father, who was a coach, you know, at Naval Academy, and uh, his dad, I think, talked with Red, and Red brought him in as a special assistant to us. And so he was spent a lot of time with the, our special teams coach and also with us on defense. And he spent a lot of time with our defensive backfield coach, Richie McCabe. Uh, so, but you know he was there. You could just tell that he, you know, he had the ability to to uh, uh, pick up stuff very quickly. And so you knew he was a sharp guy. Figured that well, he's probably going to be a pretty good coach when he gets you know enough experience at it and so forth. And the thing I really liked about him is the fact that we used to play racquetball and I could beat him in racquetball. So you know, <laughs> I I really liked him for that. <laughs> You know, uh, Joe, in, in, in 87, Joe, um, you, you had the top defense in, in the league in, in points and uh, uh, top 10 defense points and yards. Heck of a defense. You go to the Super Bowl, Joe, and, you know, you're playing the Redskins and it was, uh, you know, a, a strike shortened season. And, Joe, you're up 10-0. You're up 10-0 and it looked like a good day for the Broncos and and then the second quarter came, and, and here comes Doug Williams. Joe, what, what do you remember about that second quarter? That, that, that must have been a nightmare. It was. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, some people say uh, during your lifetime you're going to get 15 minutes of fame. Well, that was my 15 minutes of fame at that time. <laughs> we weren't able to slow down the Redskins. Uh, they, 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 had, they matched up very well against us. We weren't a real big defense at, at that time. And uh, they, the, uh, the Redskins had, you know, the hogs or whatever you call those guys. And uh, they had big people. And uh, they just overpowered us as far as size and strength is concerned. So our defense, you know, just didn't match up well against against that team. And Doug Williams had a fantastic game. So it was just one of those things, you know. I've been in games before like that, but just things just just don't work. And I've been in games where everything works. So it's just it's, it's just part of the game. That's the way it is. We're with Joe Collier on the eye test for two, and Joe. One question I've been wanting to ask you, and I'm glad we got you on here for this, is when Randy Gratishar's name comes up for the Hall of Fame, sometimes people say to me, well, what about Mecklenburg? And, and I realize, you know, two different positions and everything, but, but they're linebackers. They'll say, oh, what about Mecklenburg, Mecklenburg or Gratishar? And, and I've always been a Gratishar guy, but because there are people who bring that up, I'm just wondering if it crosses your mind that maybe that sort of lessens the enthusiasm for Randy because there are some people in the Mecklenburg camp. I don't know if you've thought about that or not, or if you think that's accurate. Well, I don't know. You know, Carl was uh, uh, more of a hybrid player. By that, right. I mean, uh, he played a lot of positions. He just uh, probably that the, the fact that we did move him around a lot. He played defense. You know, he played about four or five different positions in, in one game. He would play that many. So I think probably when I look back at it, I think that's probably his chance to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame because of the fact that he didn't play at one particular position all the time. Now, Randy played just one position all the time, so it's a little bit different as far as that goes, but they're both they're both excellent players, you know, great players, and, uh, you know, I don't know exactly how, how the people that are voting for it think about uh, Mecklenburg as far as getting into the Hall of Fame, but, uh, you know, I, I think he deserves it.
Yeah, he's got Hall of Fame support. I know that. And I've talked to voters who are in his camp. Um, but when I was talking earlier about Randy Gratishar's qualifications, one thing I forgot to mention, which I should have, he had over 2,000 tackles. <laughs> he had 2,000, yes. over 2,000 tackles. Yet, and, and you know where this is going. People tell me that can't be accurate. All right, that can't be accurate. The Broncos must have padded those numbers. And, and I've talked to a longtime friend of mine in years, Jim Sakamano, over the years, and he said, they weren't padded because Joe recorded them himself. I would stand outside that room and he would finish grading the film and hand me the numbers. He recorded them himself. So I will ask you point blank, how accurate are the 2000 plus tackles of Randy Gratishar's career? Well, I did that. You know, when you when you look at statistics after a ball game, somebody up in the press box is is taking keeping track of tackles. Well, you know, there are a lot of t situations when plays happen fast. Uh, there's a lot of people around the ball carrier getting involved in the thing, and it's difficult, I think, for a guy to do that just right. Box. That's why I recommended to Jim that I could do it on Monday morning, you know, early Monday morning after a ball game by looking at the film. And I would make sure that the, the tackles were accurate. You know, if a guy, uh, you know, Randy made a lot of first hits and uh, he made a lot of assisted tackles. Well, a lot of people don't probably don't give uh, credit for assisted tackles. If a ball carrier is still moving and the whistle hasn't blown, and a guy gets there to help with a tackle, that's an assisted tackle. Well, I think the guys up in the press box didn't pay much attention to a guy that maybe who came in a second or third hit on a, on a ball carrier. And uh, consequently, I think a lot of tackles, assisted tackles, were um, not recorded by people that were doing it in the press box immediately, you know, because it's just, there's a lot of pressure on the guy to do that because the next play is getting ready and they got to get ready for the next play and so forth. So, you know, to me, taking the tackles the next day off of the film, they're accurate tackles. You know, there's no question about I me. Mean, you can reverse the film back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until you make sure you get everybody credit for what they did. And uh, that, that to me is uh, part of a, the motivation of a player, giving him credit for making a hustle play to get to a ball carrier. And you, even if he's not the first guy to get there, he's involved in the play and, and helps to bring the ball carrier down. You know, I think that you got to give credit for those kids that, that do that. And that's part of the motivation that, you know, that uh, you want to make statistically a guy uh, give him the credit for what he did. Joe, you've done a great job of uh, talking up Randy's case for Canton. Joe, uh, that defense was so good that um, even you'll acknowledge that it, it's got to go beyond Gratishar. And I'm going to ask you about another guy, Joe. Um, he never gets talked about. He just went about doing his job very, very well. And that's Lewis Wright, Joe. I mean, a prototypical cornerback of his time, um, you know, maybe as good as Willie Brown, uh, you know, uh, and he's certainly in Canton and deservedly so. Joe, what can you tell us about Lewis Wright? 
Oh, Lewis was a perfect size for a line, uh, defensive back. You know, it, it always gave me a feeling of comfort when I, when we sat down to make the game plans for their next opponent. And I'd say, all right, we'll put Louie on this guy and the rest of the other 10 guys, you play football. Louie will take care of this guy. That's the kind of feeling you had with this guy. He was a big cornerback and could run like the devil. You know, he was a great track guy in college. And, uh, he, uh, I think probably, you know, he, he had terrible hands. You know, he never could have been a receiver. So he probably dropped a lot of interceptions, whereas if he had been able to catch the ball better than than uh, he did, he would probably have been getting more because he had chances to get more interceptions, but his, his hands weren't great. So, Louie, I said, uh, you know, uh, I said, uh, no, no wonder they, they didn't play on offense in college. You can't, you can't catch the ball good enough. <laughs> Joe, one more from me, Joe. Thanks so much for your time. Um, Joe, that orange crush, you know, the three, four. Um, Joe, look, you're not the first coach in the world that, that ever used the three, four, but how did it develop for you? And um, what do you think the future of the three, four is in, in the national football league? Well, I think it's still okay, but the specialization, you know, people come out and first down, uh, offensive teams come out and first down, they got four and they got five wide receivers. Well, you're not going to spend time with playing the three, four, then you're going to put in four pass rushers and six defensive backs or whatever. So it's, it's, it's kind of watered down now, so to speak. The three, four at the time that we, we were playing it, and there was other, a lot of other teams that were playing it too, was basically, uh, for, uh, an ability to play the run well because in those days the, the the teams were more running oriented than they are nowadays. So you know, and we started a three four because we were a four man team, and we went into the first game and Lyle Lauzado came down with a knee injury. He was one of our starting defensive linemen. So we looked at our our roster and our players that we had, and we had a a, a good group of linebackers, and we had more than just the four linebackers. We had three or four guys that played behind those guys who were pretty good too. So we decided, well, let's go ahead. We had worked on the three, four during the training camp. So we were ready to go with it and we were going to use it some during the season. But then when Alcedo went down, we decided that we had more good linebackers and we had defensive linemen. So we went with the three, four and we had success with it and stuck with it after that time. So, but uh, you know, I think it's still a viable defense and, but I think there's more four-man team now because they got to get four pass rushers in there against the, the passing attacks that these teams are using all the time nowadays. Joe, given the rules in today's NFL where the advantage has goes to the offense in almost every instance and there's almost no defense that's allowed in the game today, how would you like to be coaching defense in today's NFL? Not very much. You know, in fact, what I'd like to do, if I came back to coach, I'd like to be an offensive coach. I got all kinds of ideas about it. <laughs> but, what's your, what's yeah, your it, it would be tough. <laughs> yeah. You just have to, luckily they got a bigger roster now, which enables you to have more defensive backs, which is one of the things I think mainly you have to have nowadays. You got to have a, a good group of defensive backs just to play against all the passing games they have nowadays. And, and last question for me, Joe, um, coming back to Randy Gratishar, is there 
one particular play or game where he excelled that stands out to you? In other words, if I said to you, Joe, I'm going to ask you to address the Pro Football Hall of Fame voters. If you can focus on a particular play, if you want to show a video of a particular play or a video of a particular game where Randy excelled, is there one that comes to your mind? Well, we played the Cleveland Browns, and uh, uh, I remember that uh, he ran an interception back 90 yards, you know, which was pretty spectacular and changed the whole uh, game score and so forth in that day. But, but before that, before he ran that interception back, we were in, because uh, we were down on the 10 yard line defensively, and um, it, we, they were in the huddle. And Randy looked down, you know, got the signal, was ready to call defense. He looked down on the ground and, and said, hey, there's a quarter. And he picked up this quarter. <laughs> they put it in his pants. I don't know where the hell he put it because football pants don't have any pockets. But he put, the, put that in. And I, I said, well, maybe that's a good luck for the charm because next next player, two plays after that, he ended up returning an interception for 90 yards. You know where he might have put it, Joe? He might have put it in his sock because I covered the Chargers for many years when Don Coriel was out there. So I saw your defenses and I saw how good those defenses were in Denver. But in training camp, when anyone would have a takeaway interception or fumble recovery, he would stop practice and give them a dollar bill and they would put the dollar bill in their sock and then they would resume <laughs> practice. <laughs> that must have been what he that's probably where he put it i guess yeah <laughs> hey joe collier thanks so much for the time and let's hope we don't have to wait another three decades to get randy gratishar in the hall oh yeah i'm, I'm praying for it too me too thanks okay, joe. thank I you so. very much great talking to you that was former denver defense coordinator joe collier and ira I knew you were going to sneak in a Bill Belichick question for Ian Glendon. Yeah, you just had to take care of our producer, didn't you? Well, you know, Joe Collier, Clark, he, he was with the Buffalo Bills in the AFL. I mean, the, the guy has had a fantastic career. He was a head coach for the Bills, you know. And, and you know what? He got fired, and, and Clark, the next year they drafted O.J. Simpson. Yeah. I mean, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, he, so he, he was got... a brilliant assistant coach. And I meant it when he was in San Diego, when I was in San Diego and he was in Denver and they had to meet them twice a year. Joe Collier was like, God almighty, how are they going to figure out what Joe Collier is doing defensively? He did a wonderful job with that. <laughs> oh, there's the signal for our weekly I was there. And Ira, I know you were, you were there, but where and when? You know, Clark, I know you're a wizard uh, uh, behind the scenes. If you could have some snowflakes falling down, uh, because I'm taking you to January 22nd, 1983, Clark, strikes shortened 82 season, when uh, nobody handled the strike better than the Redskins. I right. believe they went eight and one. Joe Gibbs was uh, unbelievable that year in terms of staying close to the players and straddling that line. Anyway, Clark NFC title game. They are hosting the Dallas Cowboys and they win the game 31 17 Clark. It's freezing and RFK stadium open press box. I open know press box. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting in the front row for UPI, you know, right on the 50 yard line. And what strikes me about the game Clark is that was the postseason of John Riggins. That was the postseason of John Riggins. Clark, he didn't do much during the regular season. He had one 
100-yard game. He averaged 3.1 yards a carry. Nobody was talking about John Riggins uh, during the 1982 regular season. Clark, when the postseason came, the guy was a runaway train. Cowboys couldn't handle him. 36 carries, a buck 40, two touchdowns. And Clark, when the Redskins were trying to protect the lead, he carried the ball nine straight times in the fourth quarter. The next week in the Super Bowl, 166 against Miami. I remember that. I remember that well. So, Ira, you know where I was that day? I was in Miami for the AFC championship game where the field was flooded. <laughs> they didn't cover the field, and they had a monsoon before, so they were playing in a mud bowl. Anyway, it forced them to change the rules after that. Hey, uh, Ira, any final thoughts? Well, Clark, here we are mid-April. We're wondering what, what is going to happen with Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson, two of the top quarterbacks in this league. There's a lot of intrigue. One of them, or both of them, Clark, could be moved within the next three weeks, even on draft night. And so that adds a lot of uh, layers of intrigue to this draft. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Also, I would like to mention somebody who is Hall of Fame worthy and is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but now in the CFL Hall of Fame, that's Marv Levy. Marv Levy has just chosen the CFL Hall of Fame and congratulations to him. And also, Eddie George, who's a Hall of Fame candidate for Canton. He's gonna be named the head coach apparently at Tennessee State. Congratulations, Eddie. Congratulations. Well, that's all for this week. Ira, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. At iKaufman76, Clark. Ian. At iGlenn31. And I'm at, at ClarkJudgeTOF. And if we don't hear from you there, you will definitely hear from us next week right here on the iTest for two. Thanks for listening.